0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. If you would please turn to James chapter 5, if you're in the Red Bible, it is page 1013. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you will need a Bible. Feel free to grab one from the back, and it is page 1013 in that Red Bible. James chapter 5, we are going to jump right in. And so James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. This is God's word. Be patient, therefore, brothers But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this book of James that you have preserved for our edification. We're so thankful for this book of James who has taught us so much about how to engage the world and the life that we are a part of, Lord. God, pray you would continue to teach us this morning as you have been so faithful to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine that you are a pastor and you are sitting down with someone who is sharing with you about their chronic pain that they have been enduring for several years. They confess to you uh, that although they are merely in their 40s, there is part of them that cannot wait for it all to end. What would you say to them in that moment? How would you comfort them in that moment? Imagine you're a pastor and Uh, You are sitting down with someone and they share with you about how they hate going home at the end of the day because when they go home, it's like walking into a living nightmare because things are so volatile in the household. How would you counsel them? How would you comfort them in that moment? Imagine you are a pastor and you're sitting down with someone and they share with you that that it looks like their marriage is over because the spouse has gone off the deep end. What would you say in a moment like that? Imagine you are a pastor and you're sitting down with someone who is grieving the loss of a child and their extended family, and they are just overwhelmed with sadness. What would you say? Imagine you are talking to a teenager who is overwhelmed with how unfair life is. How would you comfort them? These are all sacred moments that I was able to be a part of in the past week. What would you say in these moments? How would you comfort them? What would you teach them? Now, listening is probably the best thing you can do for the majority of it, but what would you say in response to them? One more scenario, imagine not that you are the pastor, but that you are sitting across from a pastor, maybe this pastor, and you are sharing transparently through tears about this long suffering that you are going through in your life, whatever that might be. How would you want me as your pastor to respond to you? If you remember uh, that heartwarming Mother's Day message from last week, uh, James was uh, speaking condemnation upon the greedy rich who were exploiting the poor Christians in their community, not paying them. Um, and so he, is, he goes Old Testament on them, and he, he, he gives notice to the rich to repent because their judgment is coming upon them for their exploitation of the poor. Now James turns his eyes from the rich to the poor, to those who have been hurting. To those who have been wondering where the goodness of the Lord is, to those who have had trouble uh, feeding their own families. And James turns to them to comfort them in the midst of their extraordinary suffering. And he gives this word of exhortation Be patient. Be patient. That is his exhortation in the midst of suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting with Pastor James, pouring out my heart at the suffering going on in my own life, and he simply says to me, be patient, I am tempted in that moment to punch Pastor James and say, you be patient, or to walk out, or to say, how insensitive. But before we do that, to Pastor James... Let's ask a few questions about why he would give us, in the midst of our long suffering, this exhortation to be patient. So three questions I want to ask. The first is this, when should we be patient in suffering? The answer comes pretty quick. Look at verse seven with me. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And so when should we be patient? Until Jesus returns, (laughs) We should be patient the rest of our lives. The reason why this is so important for us to hear is because we often deceive ourselves into thinking that when one suffering ends, everything will be okay again right? And so uh, if you're a kid, you think, man, once I graduate high school, all my suffering will be over. Once I graduate college, all my suffering will be over. Once I get married, once I have kids, once the, once the kids leave the house, once I have retirement, then all the suffering will be over, right? We, we say that to ourselves, but James says something here that Jesus says, which is, in this life, you will suffer. And so when Must we practice patience in the midst of suffering for the rest of your life? Everyone around you is suffering through something. Everyone. You are not the only one. Now, don't get me wrong, we should should celebrate and give thanks and have joy in the goodness of God and the good gifts of God. But the reality is we live in a very fallen, very broken world and everyone is suffering. And so James says, be patient. He continues with this illustration. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late fruit. Rains. The early and the late rains would be early in the planting season and uh, later in the growth season. Um, There were no irrigation methods of that time. There were no sprinklers for them to to water the crops. And so these farmers were completely dependent on the Lord to provide rain for the growth of their crops. And in the same way, James is saying you must wait upon the Lord. You must be completely dependent on Him in the midst of your suffering. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. And so again, verse 8, he continues and he says, you also be patient. This is the third time in two verses that James commands those who are su- suffering tremendously to be patient. And so what does James mean by be patient? Well, I going to throw out for you a definition of, of patience because I think there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. But this is from the Thayer definition. It's a lexicon of Greek to English and how some of these things are translated from the original Greek to the English. And I just thought all of these were very helpful and very descriptive terms of what it means to be patient. First off, he says, uh, uh, sorry, Thayer definition defines patience as, uh, or this Greek word as not to lose heart, to persevere patiently, and I love this, bravely in enduring misfortune and troubles to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others, and finally, to be long-suffering. We need to hear this word from James. I need to hear this word from James because often when I am suffering, I don't know about you, but when I am suffering, I am tempted to lose heart. I am tempted towards bitterness. I am tempted towards self-pity. I am tempted towards complaining. I am tempted towards lashing out at other people but James says, in your suffering, be patient. Do not lose heart. Persevere bravely. Prepare to long suffer with your eyes on the coming of Christ. Look at verse 8 with me again. He says, he continues, he says, establish your heart. That is, is place your hearts firmly on something. Fix your heart on something. He says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Friends, this is the finish line for our journey with patience. The finish line is when Christ returns. We must be patient in the midst of suffering in this life, but all the suffering will end when Christ returns. Revelation 21, we're given this amazing promise that when Christ returns, that the Lord will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death will be no more, and you will not mourn or cry or have any pain. For the old has passed away, and God will make all things new. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a life of no more suffering, of no more pain, of no more sin struggles? Could you imagine how wonderful that will be? Christian Christ return, Is our finish line for patient suffering. You know, when I uh, get a phone call on my phone and the caller ID says unknown, uh, typically what that means is one of my kids is calling me from the Alexa at home. And so uh, often if Trish and I are out either on a date night or at an event or something like that and I get this unknown call and it's around dinner time, I'll often get this voice on the other line that will say, "Uh, Dad, uh, I'm hungry. Uh, Is there any food that, that I can eat? And And typically my response will be, hey, we are on the way home. When we get home, uh, I or mom, typically mom will cook you dinner. And so don't eat any chips, don't eat any Oreos, don't eat any crackers or anything like that. Just wait, be patient. We are coming home and mom will make you a great dinner. And so we are headed home uh, and they have to go through that suffering of being hungry. When we get home, they have to continue in that suffering as mom continues to cook. Uh, Maybe it's chicken, maybe it's hamburgers. On a really good night, it's Bacon, And so they have to hear the sizzle of bacon and they have to smell the bacon and they have to endure the suffering of waiting for the bacon to come. And I will say to them, do not eat chips, do not eat, you know, cookies or anything like that. Why don't you go play on sa- outside, go ahead and live. And I assure you when the bacon is done, we will call you and all will be made right again, right? No longer will you suffer with hunger because the bacon will be done. Be patient. Christian, if you are suffering, don't stop living, but be patient in this life. Because Jesus is coming and all will be made right again. And you will no longer need to be patient in your suffering. For then you will be completely holy and happy in Jesus forever. And so when must we be patient in our suffering? For the rest of your life with your eyes focused on the coming of Jesus who will make all things new again. The second question is, how must we be patient in our suffering? The coming of Christ should not should not take us into idleness, but should actually move us into action to continue to grow in godliness and service to the Lord, but also to his bride, the church. And that's what James tells us here. And so James gives two commands. It's not exhaustive, but these are two commands that James gives to the church on how they should patiently suffer as they wait for the Lord. The first is this, it's to stop grumbling. Verse nine, he says, do not grumble or groan, against one another brothers. Uh, When we are suffering, we have this tendency to lash out to those who are closest to us, whether it be family members or church members. Uh, I know for me, I remember over the past year, I was taking the kids home to youth group and it had been a really hard day. And one of the kids in the back did something that wasn't good. And I was just amazed at how much I lashed out at them, how angry I got at it. And as I thought back about it, I knew the reason why was because I was having a really hard day in general and they just had to bear the blunt of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so often we lash out at those who are closest to us, family members or church members, when we are going through suffering. James continues, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, James calls the people he is writing to Brothers, which means they are believers in Jesus Christ, brothers in Jesus Christ, and he warns us not to grumble against one another, either in our hearts or with our lips, because the Judge Jesus is standing at the door. Now, the judgment that he is warning us against is not a a judgment in which uh, Christ will cast us off into hell. If we are in Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. But but throughout scriptures, it has talked about there being rewards in heaven. That that there's some examination of your faithfulness and your pursuit of God in this life. And everyone will be happy and holy in, in heaven, but there are some rewards given to those who are good and faithful servants. And so Jesus is saying here, I'm sorry, James is saying here, Jesus through James is saying here that we should be careful not to groan against one another, not to grumble against one another, because Jesus who loves his bride, the church, is standing at the door and he hears the grumbling of our heart. Uh, Pastor Chad Hurtler tells the story of a friend who was uh, very upset with his mother and he lashed out against her and he called her a fool. He said, you are a fool. Um, When he called her a fool, uh, what he did not know is that his father was sitting in the next room. And so after calling his mother a fool, he heard his father come up and walk into the room and his father said to him, who's the fool? And he said, I'm the fool, right? Like, Because the dad was standing at the door. He was right there ready to protect his bride. In the same way, Christ says, do not grumble against one another. Rather, come to one another with love and compassion and generosity. And so how must we wait patiently in suffering? First James says, stop grumbling against one another. The second he says, is to stop swearing. Now, he's not talking about four-letter words, although it is good not to do that as well. We're told not to let any unwholesome speech come out of our mouth. But this swearing that James is talking about is that of taking oaths, of saying, I swear I will do this, or I swear I will do that. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Jesus says something very familiar to this when he tells us that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Now, what is interesting is in the Bible, uh, God takes oaths. Jesus speaks under the oath at his trial, and Paul on multiple occasions uh, calls on God as his witness. And so it seems that not all oath taking is evil, but in some situations it is. And so the question is, when is it? What is James addressing? What's he getting at here? What is the oath taking that James is? Is is warning against, and to be honest with you, it's a little confusing. And so, I want to simply quote you someone who's smarter than me, uh, Pastor Dan Doriani, in his commentary. He says this: He says the existence of oaths as a convention of speech proves we live in a deceitful age. Does that make sense? The reason why we have to say "I promise" or the reason we have to take an oath is because people are not people of their words. Uh, people are. Are are, are dishonest. Uh, And so so we have to take oaths uh, because we live in a deceitful age. And he says the family of God should be so truthful that we never need oaths or vows to verify our words. Sadly, it may be necessary to give assurances of our honesty for the benefit of people who do not know us. For example, a legal officer functioning in a legal situation may ask that we swear to give honest testimony it seems permissible to accede to that request. Along that line, Scripture records cases where God takes oaths for the sake of those who do not know his, he is reliable. Similarly, Jesus spoke under oath at his trial. Paul also took vows, calling God as his witness. Still, once we survey Scripture and note the exceptional cases, we must return to the basic principle. James says we must not swear by any created thing lest we be condemned, whether for violating oaths or for being so unreliable that we need to take oaths in the first place. In the culture that James is writing to, they had a whole different set of oaths that they would take. They would, they would maybe uh, take an oath before God or on their own head or on the earth or things like that. And it was, it was different categories of how reliable their oaths were. And James is saying, listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't cross your fingers behind your back. Don't do the, those types of things. When you commit to something, do it. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of my children who was committed to mowing the neighbor's lawn. And they, they, they didn't want to mow the neighbor's lawn. And so I had a conversation with him. I'm like, how great is this? In tomorrow's passage, this is what James says. Let your yes be yes and no be no. We need to go and mow the neighbor's yard because we said we would do it. Even if we don't want to do it, we should do it. Now, there are times where you are providentially hindered from fulfilling those plans, don't get me wrong, but it should not be for selfish reasons that we do not fulfill our commitment to others because others in the church are depending upon your yes to be yes, but also because it is our testimony to the world as representatives of Jesus Christ. You know, I think this is particularly applicable when we are suffering, because when we are suffering, we get desperate, and and we say things, we promise things that we cannot fulfill. You can think of Esau, who was hungry, and he was suffering, and he was desperate, and so for a pot of stew, Esau traded away his birthright, his inheritance to his brother. Today, in desperation, people will make promises to repay loans or credit cards that they cannot repay in order to buy things that they don't really need. And so when you respond to someone, when they ask you to do something, respond slowly. Respond thoughtfully so that your yes can be yes and your no can be no. And so how must we be patient in suffering? Among other things, don't grumble against one another, as we are so prone to do when we suffer. But also, don't swear an oath to one another. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And so that's how we must suffer. Again, when we must suffer is the rest of this life till Jesus returns. That's how we must suffer. Finally, why can we be patient in suffering? Verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and Patience, right? That combination of suffering and patience combined together. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remained steadfast. And so James points his viewers back to the Old Testament prophets who often proclaimed messages that were unpopular to the audience. You can take Isaiah, for example. When when God calls Isaiah to go and to to preach to the people of God, God also tells Isaiah that they will be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, but never perceiving. And so God says, you're going to go preach to a people who are going to reject your message, and ultimately they're going to reject you. As we know, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, that Isaiah was sawed in two for its faithfulness to the Lord. Many of the prophets were hated, abused, and even killed for being faithful to God. And yet the prophets did not give up. They continued in patient persistence to proclaim God's word. And James says, we consider them blessed. In Matthew 5, I I love this passage. It's, It's Jesus and Jesus says this. He said, blessed, right? Blessed, happy. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is suffering, right? He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Maybe on this earth, but in heaven, your reward is great. And then he goes on, he says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How were these prophets blessed? Why did they consider them blessed? Well, first in this world, They were intimate with the Lord. They had an intimacy with God uh, that is greater than any financial riches of this world because they were faithful to the Lord, even in the midst of suffering. But for eternity, they were blessed by the Lord as well as they were holy and happy in heaven forever. And so the prophets are a great example of those who were patient in the midst of suffering, waiting for their reward in heaven but Jesus continues, and he says, excuse me, James continues, and he says this. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Job, uh, Job was a guy who was very wealthy, very had a, had a great big family. Uh, in Job chapter 1, a house collapses, and all of his children Die. The only one that's left alive is his very naggy wife, which was maybe, I don't know, another form of, uh, uh, <laughs> of suffering for Job. But, but all of his children die. And, and Job responds in, in chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then it says in that passage, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. If that wasn't bad enough, as you go into chapter 2, Job is struck with what says loathsome sores from head to foot. And Job took broken pottery and scraped those sores. And he was in ashes. And his wife says to him to curse God and die. And Job responds by saying, we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And then it comments again, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Job, you know that Job does not endure suffering perfectly. He does come to a point where he is complaining against God. But through it all, Job does not lose faith. Through it all, Job trusts the Lord. And by the end of it, physically in this world, Job is blessed. It says that he has received double, double of what he had prior. And so, so that's, the, that's the context that James is speaking about. Verse 11 again, he says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job through all his suffering, and you have, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Now, this is important. Job did not see the purpose in the midst of his suffering. This is thousands of years later that the church, who reads back about the story of Job, sees the purposes within the story of Job, which is to draw Job closer to the Lord as well as to uh, as well as to proclaim the glory and self and sufficiency of the Lord alone. And so, Job. Uh, so it continues and says, uh, "And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and." merciful. And so although uh, Job suffered imperfectly through this time of his life, in the end, he was a recipient of the compassion and mercy of God. And we saw that physically. We see that physically in the story in this life. And so why can we be patient in suffering? Bring this together. It's because of God's track record because of the story of the prophets, and the story of Job. Because we read time and time again throughout the Old Testament, that when suffering comes upon God's people, that it is only momentary. And it is preparation for a time that is coming in which God will bless them richly. Sometimes in this world, but always in the world to come. I I, I don't know how many of you here are NBA fans, probably not many, uh, but there is, there's a saying in the NBA, and if you're a fan of the NBA, you will be aware of this saying, but the saying is this trust the process. Okay? Some of you may have heard it. The saying is trust the process, and it was coined uh, by Sam Hinkey, uh, the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers in 2013. And the process Hinkey was asking the fans to trust in is that they were going to suffer and to lose big time for a long time, but it was with a purpose, which was so that they could get better draft picks and then develop these draft picks to become premier players to form a championship team. And so when it was at its lowest, ownership would continue to remind the fans to trust the process. I think we even have a sign here. Now we're stinky, but I trust Hanky, go Sixers, TCN, PH. I don't know what the TCN is. If anyone knows, I'm curious, but but, but they're saying they trust the process. And, and right now, they are the number one team in the Eastern Conference, mostly because of this process. Friends, if this is what Sam Hinkie can do through suffering, how much more can God? In the midst of suffering, God is not only calling you to trust the process, he is calling you to trust him. And why can we trust God in the midst of suffering? Why can we be patient in the midst of suffering? It's because of God's resume. Because God has always blessed the faithful who have suffered in him. James 5.11 assures us the plan is for the Lord to be merciful and compassionate or tenderhearted to his people. You know, it feels a little irreverent to say this. But in some ways, Jesus trusted the process. He trusted the process of his father. Because as Jesus approached the suffering of the cross, he knew that God the Father had a plan, that God was bringing suffering into his life, not because the Father was harsh and vindictive, but because he was compassionate and merciful to his people. It was trusting in that plan of the Father that Jesus patiently endured the suffering of the cross, and it was through that process of the cross, which looked like a cosmic defeat, that we who trust in Christ have become eternal recipients of the compassion and mercy of God and can now wait in the midst of our suffering patiently for the fullness of God's compassion and mercy to come when Jesus returns. You see, the cross proves the same things that Job's story proves, that the prophet's story proved. The cross proves that no matter how bad your suffering is, God has a plan. And if Jesus could be patient in his horrendous suffering for the plan to work its way out, so can we. And so just to recap, when must we be patient in suffering? The rest of our life, till Christ returns. How must we be patient in our suffering? In a lot of ways, but in some ways, to not grumble against one another and not to... uh, not to swear an oath to one another, but let our yes be yes and our no be no. And finally, why can we patient, be patient in suffering? And it's because God has proven through the Old Testament and through the cross that despite suffering, God's end for his people is one of compassion and mercy. Let me end with this. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, General Douglas MacArthur was the commander of the American forces in the Philippines. And the same day as Pearl Harbor happened, the Japanese launched an assault against the Philippine Islands. President Roosevelt ordered MacArthur uh, to escape to Australia uh, to organize the American war effort in the Pacific Theater. It was risky for him to escape. He had to travel hundreds of miles by boat under gunfire, but he made it to Australia And in Australia, he gives this famous speech. And he says, it says, when I landed on your soil, I said to the people of Philippines, whence I came, I shall return. Tonight, I repeat those words, I shall return. Nothing is more certain than the ultimate reconquest and liberation from the enemy of those and adjacent lands, talking about the Philippines. And so for Two and a half years, the Philippines, the Filipinos clung to this promise. For two and a half years, they patiently endured the suffering and tyranny of their enemy, waiting for MacArthur to return. And then two and a half years later, on October 20th, 1944, MacArthur returned with 280,000 soldiers under his command to recapture and give final liberation to the Philippines. Christian, where are you suffering? Be patient for Christ will return. Nothing is more certain than his ultimate and total conquest and liberation of his people. He is coming and he will liberate us from sin, from misery, and from the suffering of this world. Be patient. Christ is coming. He shall return. Let's pray. Lord God, help us in the midst of our suffering to be steadfast in your promises, to cling to your promise of your return will you will make all things new. Lord, you tell us in the book of James that compared to eternity, this life is but a vapor. It is so short, Lord. And so God, help us to endure our suffering bravely, faithfully, and patiently as we await for Christ's return to make all things new. Help us in this, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.